Watch out. Yeah, talking about way out there. Beheim! Wow, is that silence in a little bit? Schrader takes. It's a two-man rush. Schrader steps Don't up. Miss. Pop pass up in the middle. Tucker's got, got it. Room to run. 15-10. Hit, hit in. Bradley's touchdown. The Bills make me wanna shout. Allen looks to his left. Fires left side. It go to the end zone. Stephon Diggs makes the catch. Touchdown, Buffalo. Swing into this. It is over. The Boston Red Sox. Baseball's best all season long. They have won it all. This is On the Block. Yeah, I was driving home yesterday, so I heard some of your show. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Brent. Thank you. Thanks, Brent. Two, one. Here's X-Men. ESPN Radio 97.7 FM heard wherever you are whatever you are doing on the ESPN app seen heard and everything in between all the magic that comes from watching this program. That's right. I said watching this program on the MightyQSportsTalk.com, a place where you can see a radio show. You can see a man in a plaid shirt talk to you at high levels about sports. I mean, what's better than that? You can chat throughout the show. You can get the show within the show. I know this is a lot. This is a lot. So I'll go slow here. First of all, like you're taking in the whole thing. Like, Brent, you said I can watch a radio show like I'm just taking that in. Can you slow down a little bit here? I know it's modern technology. It's a beautiful thing. So there's that. You're on QSportsTalk.com. You're watching a man in a plaid shirt talk to you about sports. While that's happening, there's see there's uh, a chat going on. Oh, Brent, Brent, I thought you were chatting to me. Yes, so that's happening. But what is also happening while you're watching me chat with you is there is a literal chat. On the screen, people coming in, leaving commentary, questions, recipes, and all sorts of hijinks and tomfoolery as the show's going on. Okay, uh, this this is this is a lot. Oh, we're not done. There's more. There's more. There's more. So what happens is when the radio audience goes to a commercial break, our friends on QSportsTalk.com do not. We keep the microphone on. We keep the camera on. We keep talking to you. Mind blown. I know. I know. It's amazing. So however you're taking in the show today, we greatly appreciate that. If you'd like to make yourself a part of it, 437-7644 is the phone number. Brent Axe Media on Twitter or the aforementioned live chat at QSportsTalk.com. We have two guests joining us today right here in this hour. We are going to hear from Syracuse car Joe Girard. Presented by RomanoCars.com. Usually we chat with Joe on Tuesdays, but we had a game day this week on Tuesday, so we bumped it on up to a Thursday for you. Joe's thoughts on uh, Jesse Edwards' three-point shooter. Joe's thoughts on Judah Mintz, no longer a freshman. Joe's thoughts on Duke. And as we like to say in the radio business, so much more. That's coming up. We'll uh, play that for you here in this hour of the program at 425, so stay tuned for that there. Weekly conversation 
with Joe Girard. In the next hour of the show, 5.05, we will check in with uh, Brendan Marks, terrific college basketball writer for The Athletic with a focus on Duke and North Carolina. Duke is coming to town Saturday, something we will certainly discuss heavily over the next two days on these airwaves and at QSportsTalk.com. 6 o'clock tip. Our pregame coverage starts at 5 o'clock Saturday afternoon. Burdick Ford, Burdick Toyota pregame. Come on by, hang, be there as we recap, or pardon me, as we preview all things Duke. The recap from Brian Higgins and Eric Devendorf. Uh, keep in mind, uh, programming note will be on QSportsTalk.com only, but still postgame show for you following Syracuse and Duke Saturday night. Brendan covers Duke better than anybody, and what kind of Duke team is coming in on Saturday? I think there's a few things you know, but what is it about this Duke team we really need to know beyond what's on the surface? Brendan will know, and he will tell us, and he will fill us in. Hot Takes will cover uh, some investments the New York Giants are about to make. Wonder how Giant fans feel about this. Just kind of inevitable at this point. Got to pay what you got to pay, or are we sure about this? I think are, uh, the in-betweens there don't exist. I think you're in one camp or the other there as a New York Giants fan. So we'll get into some off-season news there, and uh, we'll hear from you throughout the program. And who knows what other hijinks and tomfoolery will come our way. So looking forward to hearing from you throughout the afternoon at 437-7644 on Twitter, Brent Axe Media, and in the live chat <clears throat> Excuse me, at QSportsTalk. Dot com. Uh, let us start somewhere. Uh, we've certainly gone down this road before, but always interesting when someone smart like Mike Waters takes a look at this and gives us some hard data to chew on here. And it's something everybody always has an opinion on. And that is attendance at the JMA Wireless Dome. Now, football, basketball attendance questions are always different but similar in some ways. Basketball has never usually gotten the scrutiny that football does. Basketball has been a steady machine. Basketball will get either a number that leads the country in attendance or is number two in attendance, right? No matter how people feel about attendance at certain games, it's a big number. Right, It's something that John Wildhack even references in the story. I'm going to read you part of it coming up here. Of course, you can check it out at Syracuse.com. And, you know, if you want to be positive, you can state that there's 300-some-odd schools in Division I basketball that would love to have 17,977 people attend their basketball games. And he'd be right about that. That's still a significant number, that every night at least – that many people are now we're talking about tickets sold versus butts in seats. And that's always a debate, but just to have that number, 95% of college basketball teams would kill for that. Some don't even have that capacity, right? So let's be fair and put that out there, but let's also put this in perspective a little bit here and kind of wonder if what we're looking at is a glitch in the matrix or if this is uh, essentially the new normal. And I, some, some people are tired of that expression, but I think it applies here. Let me read you part of Mike's story here. If you've been to a Syracuse University basketball game at the JMA Wireless Dome this season, and judging by all the visible metallic gray seats, you haven't. I like that. Then you probably notice that attendance is down. Syracuse, which annually resides among the NCAA's attendance leaders for men's basketball, 
is seeing attendance numbers at a 20-year low with just three home games left in the regular season. Through its first 15 home games, Syracuse has an average attendance of 17,977 per game. And as Mike notes, that is tickets sold. That is not fans through the turnstiles, or as Uncle Brent likes to call it, the butts and seats. The last time Syracuse saw attendance figures that low was in the 2001-02 season. That year, the average attendance for Syracuse men's basketball games was 17,023. The 2002 figure included two games in the NIT, which gives you a sense of why attendance was so low that year. Syracuse has finished either first or second nationally in attendance every year since 2008 when it actually finished third. So even if they're not in the top two, they're going to be three. Currently, Syracuse ranks fifth in the country. Let's give you some other numbers here. Kentucky is number one, 19,780. North Carolina is number two, 19,603. Arkansas is number three at 19,020. And Tennessee is fourth at 18,479. Usually Louisville's on that list, but uh, Louisville's having an all-time low of a season, so you can imagine that the stands have not been as full as usual. Now, here's what John Wildhack said about this in Mike's story. Quote, you always want attendance to be strong, to be up or flat. We are down a little bit. At the same time, I think, how many schools play Division I basketball? Question mark. I think there's 348 that would gladly take our average attendance, which, yeah, he's right about. But Syracuse led the nation in attendance last year with an average of 20,017. Just year to year. This is not a gradual build. This is year to year. A drop in attendance of roughly 2,000 fans per game, and as Mike kind of does the back of the napkin nap, uh, math here, estimating $100 per fan in terms of tickets, concessions, parking, multiplied over 18 games, that's a year-over-year loss of $3.6 million. That's year-to-year. You're in the top five, not the top two. The only blip on the radar there is when you finish third in 2008. Okay, so... No matter how you, you spin this, the numbers aren't good by Syracuse standards. And let's be honest here, that is an incredible run of attendance since that building opened through the years. A couple blips on the radar screen, even when you're down, it's about 18,000 people, which, as John Wildhack noted, a lot of people would take, but that's not the standard in Syracuse. So, of course, you turn to the question, why? Well, this is easy to answer. The Fairweather 10,000 aren't showing up. Because they have no reason to. I've talked about this theory many times on my show, and you may be sick of me even saying it, but there's no buzz with this team. This is not a discredit to the players on the team, and I don't want this to come across the wrong way. I just, if you step back and look at it objectively, what would make you run to the JMA Wireless Dome to go to a game if you normally don't? Like the fans that go because they like basketball, it's what they do in the winter, it's, it's their routine. They've been season ticket holders for years. Like, Put all those people aside. They're going. Even some of them aren't going anymore, which we'll get into. But there's no buzz about this team that makes me say I have to be there on a Tuesday night to see NC State instead of watching it at home or going out with my sweetie on Valentine's Day. Okay? Now, I think that is starting to change. I think Judah Mintz is reaching a level of a player that, man, I want to see him play. And the way that this team can play If this team, and I know I'm looking ahead here, but 
If you get most of this team back, I think this will be a team that people will be excited to watch next year that will want to go to more games. Will they get season tickets? I don't know. But I think this attendance number will grow. So the Fairweather 10,000 is never a reason to go. The team has not been very good by its own standard, if you're zooming out and looking at it objectively, the past couple of years. They had a losing season last year. You have a losing season, you're just going to lose a certain percentage of fans that only show up when you're good. You can call them Fairweather fans. You can call them what you want. There's just a certain contingent of fans that only show up when there's a feel, there's a buzz, there's a got-to-be-there kind of feeling. That does not exist. I think we'd be naive not to mention the post-COVID world we're in. Now, I think there's more of a desire out there for people to get back to normal, whatever that is, to go back to events, go back to concerts. We, I think, are well past a lot of the COVID fatigue that's out there, but it still exists. For those that just want to say, okay, we've just kind of turned the page, no. The, The world was completely and utterly transformed by that pandemic, and a lot of things are just starting to come out of that. So I think we'd be naive, not to mention not just the fear of COVID. I'm just talking about the habits that people got into in COVID, okay? People are just starting to get back to work in a normal sense, back in the office. I never left here. I I was coming here through the, the pandemic. I was the only one in the building half the time. So that didn't change for me in, in retrospect to here, but it changed in, in some other aspects of my life. And you know, it's not about me. I'm just saying there's a lot of people like me out there that the routines were changed by that and we're just starting to come out of that. So I think that has to be mentioned, right? I think price is a factor. The investment in tickets and parking and food and everything that it takes to go to multiple games a year as opposed to maybe just like, okay, let's pick and choose. And by the way, if you pick and choose and the Duke game is your choice, I mean, the Duke game's going to have a strong crowd. But if you go on Ticketmaster right now, there's a lot of blue dots on there. Blue dots mean available seats. You can buy them today. That's usually not the case two days before the Duke game. So even the Fairweather 10,000, they're like, ah, if I'm going to go to one game, it's going to be Duke. Duke doesn't have the usual draw that it does. There's no Coach K. There's no stars on that team that resonate. Kyle Filipowski is a great player. My mother wouldn't know Kyle Filipowski if he walked in the house. Hi, I'm Kyle. I play for Duke. Who are you? Duke doesn't have a Zion Williamson. They don't even have a Apollo Bencaro type star this year, transition year. So there's no draw there. There's no energy. Last year you had to be there because it was Coach K's last game. And I feel like a cycle has gone through with Duke. Right? Everybody's been to a Duke game at least once now. The feel of, man, I've got to see this team. I hate this team. i got to root against this team. That is over. That has expired. I want to see how it continues in the John Shire era, and I think it's way too early in the game to figure that out, of course. We have to see it first at least a couple of times. So we're in a transition period there. It's a lot of things. Now, my question is, is this a glitch in the matrix or uh, is this the new normal? This team has to get back to an exciting level where they're not fighting for their very bubble lives consistently this time of the year for most of these fans to come back and invest by putting their butts in the seats as opposed to just following the team through media, social media, through their fellow fans, whatever the case may be. That's obvious. Remember, 
there are thousands of jobs coming to central New York via Micron. There are other businesses that are expanding here. If you, if you really look at it, there's a lot of success stories about people investing in central New York. A lot of those, Mike, Amazon, of course, has added thousands of jobs to central New York. Are those jobs that pay well enough for people to have the disposable income to invest in season tickets, go to games? That's debatable, but I don't want to make this a political discussion. When Micron makes its impact here, it's going to be exciting, and I am anticipating that. That's going to take a decade. By the time everything is built, invested, people are buying homes, they're investing here, they're figuring out what it's it's going to take the better part of a decade, maybe a little less than that, but the impact of that is so far down the road. I can't I I can't wait to see it, but I can't relate it to this conversation. That will help, but we're too far away from that to factor it into the conversation. So th- the answer to this is pretty simple. It's layered in other ways. I might have forgot a few other things. Look, I had a lot of people reach out to me when the Bayheim press conference antics were at their peak, saying he is the reason I don't go anymore. I think that's a very small percentage of people that felt motivated to reach out to me because it was just in the news, right? But I literally had people say, I either canceled my tickets or will because of the way he treats X, Y, and Z fill in the blank. Again, I think that's such a small percentage. I probably even shouldn't even mention it, but people reached out to me to say that. Everybody's got different reasons. We always talk about fan behavior. Not that I think fan behavior is bad, generally, at the JMA Wireless Dome, but, you know, the guy that's in front of you that won't sit down, and I, I, I don't even want to start that debate. Or somebody had a few too many beers and just you had a bad ex- Everybody's got, you know, of the 17,000-plus now that they're averaging, there are 17,000 individual stories. You know, I got a dome dog and it was cold. I, I mean, everybody's got that bad experience that turns them off. There's a lot of great experiences, too. I think, by and large, the dome experience is better. The scoreboard is incredible. I think the food options are just that. There's more options. There's more food available to you. Whether you think the price matches what it should be, that's debatable. And parking and, and all that. By the way, uh, this winter has been a breeze. No one can say Weather has been a factor this year. I don't want to trudge up to that dome in 10-degree weather. and try. No, 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 no. There's That has not been the case. This winter has been a walk in the park. So that is not a factor. Sometimes it can be if you don't want to deal with it, but not this year. So, look, this is obvious. If the team was better consistently, and there was an excitement and a buzz about it, then the Fairweather 10,000, or at least a portion of them would be back. This number would be better. But this is an eyebrow raiser because your business aspect of this is down 10%. And you're not in the top two, you're in the top five, right? It's yet another thing that doesn't add up to what the standard for Syracuse basketball is. I was doing a, a different show that I do today called Orange Weekly. You can see it on various internet channels and somebody shout out to my guy, Brian, who got in, there's a live chat that we do similar to the one on, on Twitch here on QSportsTalk.com. Sorry, Jordan, but the format's similar. And I had uh, a guy, Brian get in there. who's a regular viewer on the show. And he said, uh, boy, if they get to the NIT and they 
make a run there, man. I think that's something to be proud of with this team. And I'm just like, what exa- what what are we talking about right now? Like they could win the NIT. Don't care. You buying an NIT championship shirt, right? They're going to be selling those at Manny's. Get your NIT champions hat now before it hits the 70% off rack tomorrow. Like that's where we're at here. Someone got a little jolt and an excitement. I mean, I get what they were saying. If this team can rally and make a postseason and make a deep run and give you a peek over the horizon to next year, that that's great. But that's nothing to be happy about. That's nothing to celebrate. That the standard is the tournament, and that's not just my standard. That's Jim Beheim talking. We don't make the tournament. The season's a failure. So the attendance. It, I, somebody in that same chat was like, "They're still in the top five in the country." The standard's number one or two in a weird off year. So this whole, and anybody else would take the numbers and we're still in the top five. These are excuses. There is a fine line between reasons and excuses. Most of these are excuses. I think it is somewhat the new normal with some factors that are going to come into play that I cannot compute yet, as I noted. a really good article by Mike, really informative. Didn't make some people happy, but uh, never, what's the old expression, never let the truth uh, get in the way of a good story? How about the truth on Wall Street today? Our friend Lee Baldwin is here to tell us all about that, how things moved and grooved on this Thursday, February the 16th. Lee, how you doing, bud? I'm doing well, Brent, but uh, you can't handle the truth today. We were down. All three major averages were down by a little more than 1%. So uh, down day on Wall Street, but I do have a diamond for you, uh, and and they do look good on you, Brent. The Crocs up 4% and a new 52-week high. And the dog today, I'm going with Sam Adams or the Boston Beer Company down 14%. uh, Slower sales, particularly in their truly hard seltzer area. So beer and sandals or whatever that sounds nice actually what you're talking about <laughs> having a beer while it's warm enough to wear my sandals which was actually yesterday lee today not so much but <laughs> yesterday so much, i was but... like oh hold on a second here this, this got, is working this is working okay good to know thank you sir always appreciate the insight that's lee baldwin folks who you can find at lee baldwin and company LeeBaldwin.com. lee and mike and bill and the great crew that come on with you here to tell you all the diamonds and none of the dogs even on a down day like we saw in the markets today. Let's break. When we return, our weekly conversation with Syracuse guard Joe Girard. He's looking forward to Duke. And how about Jesse Edwards dropping three-pointers? You kind of know it's your night when that happens, right? We'll do it next. Stay right there. Watch your favorite ESPN Syracuse sports talk shows on QSportsTalk.com. This is On the Block with Brent Axe. Welcome back, friends. Great to have you here. Uh, Programming note, we're going to cut out a little early tonight. And for good reason, because Coach Jack and company are going to be on these airwaves coming up. 545 pregame between Syracuse and Florida State. Another ranked team for the Orange. Beat North Carolina a week ago today at the JMA. Just... Fell short against Notre Dame on Sunday, and now another ranked win potentially for the Orange uh, against Florida State, which would be big for a team that is on the bubble. 
You know, the men's basketball team's trying to find its way on the bubble. Women's team technically is on the bubble right now. If they beat Florida State, it's only going to help their chances about what they can do down the stretch, clinching some opportunities to bump their way up in the uh, Charlie Cream bracketology. So uh, listen to that. Tim Leonard on the call right here on ESPN Syracuse. 545 pregame, 6 o'clock tip at Florida State. That is coming your way. So thanks to Brendan Marks. Great stuff from him on this matchup. And he brought up a couple of things there that I think are intriguing. One is the Mark Mitchell matchup on Girard. 6'8", good perimeter defender. If he can take him out of this game, or at the very least take him out of this game three-point wise, that's going to be something to keep a close eye on. Plus, the matchup in the middle, it's not necessarily Filipowski against Jesse Edwards, but to have Derek Lively, who was described similarly to what Jesse Edwards is and who he can be. That's more of the matchup you're going to see in the paint. How do you guard Filipowski? Those stretch fours can kill a 2-3 zone. Who's going to draw that? I mean, Syracuse went after Filipowski hard, and Duke got in late, and Duke's Duke, and he's just... When Duke just comes in and drops the card, it's like, okay, yeah. You almost can't be upset about that. But Filipowski was right in Syracuse's wheelhouse, and just imagine having him as a stretch four on this team. He's listed as a center, but to have his athletic ability and his size on this team, I mean, that's what's missing, right? Chris Bell and Benny Williams, and it just seems like whoever you put at that position, Malik Brown's been great, but he is you know, centered around the basket, and the further away he gets from the basket, the more liable he is there. I think another thing, we brought this up with Joe when we uh, chatted with Joe Girard last hour. If you missed that, make sure you check it out at uh, ESPNSyracuse.com in the audio vault presented by RomanoCars.com. Jim Beheim said it, uh, it said it often, but really emphasized it lately about if you're going to beat good teams like they did Tuesday night against NC State, you need everybody to contribute. And I know that's what a thing a coach will say, but it was specific to look at Tuesday night, all five starters and double figures. Now that feels like a Syracuse team, whether you think, hey, babe, Beheim, you don't go deep enough on his bench. Like the, whether you feel that way or not, that's what you want. I mean, what Jesse did speaks for itself. What Judah Mintz did and continues to do speaks for itself and the tangible improvement that he makes game by game. But Malik Brown was in double figures. Didn't have a huge impact, but enough of an impact. Chris Bell has been struggling from the three-point line, but he was in double figures, right? All five starters on that team were in doubles, contributed. Everybody had a say, and of course, Gerard at 14. Everybody had a say in it. Judah and Jesse were the show. They were the main course, but every great meal is a great meal from start to finish. From, if you do like to get an appetizer, from appetizer to main course to dessert. Even if you don't get dessert. Right? If you just have a good salad, the bread's good, you, you feel, hey, let's get an appetizer, right? And the appetizer's good. That's not what you remember about the meal. What you remember about the meal is the main course, right? I had the steak, and that steak was great. But if you have a great experience from start to finish, and everything contributes, me, to me, dessert is all five starters are in double figures, and then you got somebody off the bench 
that was killing it. A Justin Taylor, for example, comes in and, and hits a few threes or something. That's deserved. That's a bonus. But that was just a good, solid meal on Tuesday night. And if you're going to continue to beat good teams, Duke included. Now, Duke, I think, is as, to use a word, as vulnerable a team that Syracuse has faced in this series. Duke's won seven in a row here. And as Brendan Marks was telling us when we chatted with him a few minutes ago, there is no Paulo Bencaro on this team. There is no Zion Williamson on this team. There's good players, but this is not a star-studded top pick in the draft, three of the first five picks in the draft type of, of Duke team coming in, right? Sometimes that, and obviously they're in a transition with Shire coming in for Shashevsky. It's it's an interesting Duke team, and it's a Duke team that struggled to get by Notre Dame Tuesday night. It's a Duke team, we brought it up with Brendan, that there's still some feelings about what happened in that Virginia game and that bogus non-call on Kyle Filipowski, who got a little banged up from that play, played Tuesday night, and he'll be playing in this game. But there are still some people uh, kind of in their feelings about that. Not going to be 35,000, might not even be 30,000 in this game, but a good game nonetheless, and I think there's a couple of intriguing matchups that are starting to build in this one. And you want to keep beating good teams, especially at home. With two games looming next week, Pitt and Clemson, then I think are going to be tougher matchups. So at the very least, what I'm starting to figure out here is and I could be dead wrong on this because they still have Whitehead who can hit from three, but they don't come in with a lot of guys raining threes. Syracuse's three-point defense, in case you haven't noticed, has been better lately. They've been pushing out more. They've been getting to the free throw line. What is it, 51 of 58 in their last three games? Because hashtag free throws matter. You guys know, right? All right, now before we do this, uh, Jordan, pardon me doing this live on the radio here, but... um, should I should I take a break now? Go ahead and uh, get on the screen there and tell me uh, what the deal is here. Should I take a break now and get that in before we uh, kick it out to Syracuse women's basketball, or you want me to filibuster here until 540? He's going to figure that out. He's going to let me know. Because we got Syracuse women's basketball coming up. We are Okay, we will take that break. All right, let's get one more break in here, folks, and then we will uh, wrap it up and send you to Syracuse women's basketball coming up in just a few minutes, but uh, one more segment to go. Stay right there.